Welcome to Come Magnify the Lord with Me podcast hosted by Becky Dameron. Becky was saved at a young age and reared in a Christian home. At an early age, she sought for a special relationship, Jesus Christ. As her love for Jesus grew, so did her love for His Word. Becky has enjoyed leading ladies' Bible studies, speaking at ladies' conferences, and sharing the gospel with anyone willing to listen. We hope you have your Bible and are ready to dive into studying God's amazing book. We're going to pick up in Genesis 17, but before we do that, I'd like to mention a few more things from Genesis 16. I know there's going to be even more, but while we're close to it still, I want to mention some lessons that we can learn. I was thinking about Hagar after I ended the podcast, and I couldn't help but think of just a few more things that we can learn from her. And a big one that kept pushing into my mind was that Hagar was wronged and she was mistreated, but that still didn't give her a right to do wrong. Hagar was being pushed into a a wrong um, situation here with Abraham. She was told she had to do it and she did it. So she obeys. She does does what she's, you know, commanded to do. And then she's persecuted for it. So this is like doubly wrong. It was wrong what they told her to do. And then on top of that, then they blame her and they say she's wrong in the situation. So she's very much mistreated, but it still didn't give her a right to disobey and run away. And Others' actions don't get, give us a license to sin ever. There's a whole lot of people that are Christians, but they are excusing wrong in their life because they were wronged. They are saying, well, I need, I'm not going to be in church anymore because of what people did to me there. They treated me wrong. And most likely, they were treated wrong. But it doesn't change who God is, and it doesn't change God's laws. And with Hagar, even though she was mistreated, she wasn't supposed to run away. And I failed to mention that where she went, that uh, where it mentioned Shur, this is on the border of Egypt. She's running back to Egypt. And there's a whole lot of Christians that have been mistreated, and they aren't treated right, so they run back to the world. Egypt is always a picture of the world in the Bible, and and we're told it's an illustration of that in the New Testament. We're explained that this is a picture of the world. And Hagar thinks, well, I'm mistreated by the people of God. Well, I'm just leaving, and I'm going to go back to where I came from. Don't do that. Don't be like her. The angel of the Lord came and appeared to her, and he stopped her from going back to the world. And that was a blessing. She doesn't turn all the way. She has a good experience there. But then later, we're going to see there's, there's some issues, but we cannot run back to the world because Christians are wrong. It's worse in the world. And people say, Oh, well, but then I, I at least know, you know, they're wrong. And I know black and white, what's wrong. It doesn't make it right. Because somebody did you wrong for you to do wrong. We, we have to just stick following God regardless. You know, there is no perfect church. And, and you know why there's no perfect church? Because you and I are there. 
We see the faults of others all the time, and we point out their faults, but we don't see our own. We, we like to say, this happened, and so I'm not going to go back. You know, somebody could say that about you, too. Somebody could look and say, well, they're in the church, so I'm not going to come. We, we can't do that. It is never right to do wrong because somebody wronged us. We have to remember that fact, and we have to live by that fact. And I, I just couldn't help but think about that when I was thinking about Hagar. And then another thing that was brewing in my mind was the idea of fatherless children. Um, God describes how Ishmael is going to be, and he's going to be wild, and he's going to be against everybody, and everybody's going to be against him. We're going to find out that he loses his father at 14. This is right when boys need their fathers. And we'll talk more about that when we get to that stage. But I thought, you know, God says this is how it's going to be. And partly why is because he doesn't have a father who leads him when he needs him the most. And it's so important as wives around the teenage years that we really push our sons towards their dads. You know, we love our children. I love each of my children equally and greatly. When you have a child, you your heart just fills with love. And then you have another one and you think, how do I have room for more? Yet there's more. But there comes a time in a boy's life when they need their father more than they need their mother. And this can be hard. But trust me, mothers, you want them to have a wonderful relationship with their father. You don't want to be the first relationship. You want the first relationship to be their father because you know someday you'll have a wonderful relationship with them and it's because of their father. So I believe that some of Ishmael's issues was because he didn't have his father to direct him and guide him when he needed him the most. And we as mothers need to remember we got to push our sons, especially in their teen years, just push them to their dads. And any time they can spend with their dad is always good. So I know there's more in chapter 16, but that was just brewing around in my mind last night, and I wanted to mention it before we get into chapter 17. So we see here in Genesis 17.1, and I don't think we'll get past this first uh, verse because there's another name of God, and it's a wonderful name of God that is mentioned here. It says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So first, before we get into that name of God, we know this is 13 years since the last time there's been an encounter. And I believe that Abraham has worshiped God. I believe God has talked with him, but this is different. And I can't help but think that um, Abraham and Sarah knew they really botched things up when they took matters into their own hands. And it had been 10 years before they had heard anything or knew, you know, there's going to be a child and they thought we can fix this and and we can solve this problem. And what they did it became a thorn in their flesh their entire lives. And, and it's still this, the descendants of Ishmael are still a thorn in the, the side of Israel today. So here now we've had 13 years. I think it's interesting that there's 
Abraham and Sarah aren't trying to take any matters into their hand in this time. They're just dealing with Hagar. I'm sure Hagar had to humble herself, but so did Sarah as she sees this child that is her husband's child growing up in her home. And yet they stayed faithful during that time. It wasn't an easy time, but they stayed faithful. It's 13 years later now that the Lord appeared to Abram. So this is the Lord himself. It says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He appears to Abraham and he says unto him, I am the almighty God. So this is the first time this name is mentioned. It's the first of 48 times that it's mentioned in the Bible. The most times that this name is mentioned is actually in the book of Job. So we'll get into that when we get into the book of Job. But the the Hebrew is El Shaddai. So God Almighty. So when we think of God Almighty, He is Almighty, as in He's able to destroy anything. He is strong. He is powerful. It also has an idea of all-sufficient. He doesn't need strength from anywhere else. He doesn't need a fuel source. He is self-sufficient. He has all power. He has everything he needs, and he needs nothing. I got to pause there. He's that, and yet he wants to fellowship with you and I. Wow. But you know, he is enough. Do we need more than him? Sometimes we think we do. Sometimes we think he isn't enough and we get ourselves into trouble. But we see here then he's God Almighty then says he's all sufficient, he's all powerful, and he says, walk before me and be thou perfect. He's talking to Abraham, but he's talking to us because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. He's telling us, walk before me. So first of all, walk. This is a an idea of, it's imperative. God says, you are to walk before me. You, you This is a command. You're supposed to live before me. And then the next word, before me. So this is not behind. This is not trying to be sneaky, but we're always trying to see that our actions are before him. We have to keep watchful. We have to keep our eye on God. Remember what happened to Abraham and Sarah when they didn't, when they didn't consult with God, when they didn't walk before him? What happened? They messed up. They made bad choices. This is what God's trying to say. No, you keep before me. This is a command to keep ahead in, in, focused on me, not hiding. You know, we make our decisions on purpose and purposely focused on what God would want us to do. The decision that Abraham and Sarah did, I don't think they were trying to sneakily do this, but they were not thinking about God while they made this, this decision. They were just on their own. Okay, let's just do this. No, God says, walk before me. And then it says, and be thou perfect. There's many words in the definition of perfect. Uh, Some of them are without blemish, upright, not perverted, complete or whole. So this idea is to walk 
before me, walk before God without blemish, uprightly, perfectly, completely. And we say, oh, we, nobody can work perfect or live perfect. That doesn't matter. We should still strive to do so. It's not that we just say, oh, we can't do it, so I'm not going to try. No, God's saying, I want you to walk before me without blemish, without making decisions like you did, without consulting me. Uh, I didn't read this yesterday, but Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect be toward him. I'm going to pause there. You know, we said that name of God, God, thou God seest me. So if we're walking before him, he, he, he sees us whether we're walking before or behind, but we're walking before him. We want him to see us. We want him to look at us and say, that's a person that I can use. We're saved by faith, but we live and we strive to walk perfectly before God. And this command here that God gives is imperative. We don't have a choice. He says, walk before me. I'm, I'm going to read a uh, section from John Wesley's commentary, and we know he you know, gathered from many of them. But it says here that this idea of the covenant, and we're going to get into that, is mutual. Walk before me and be thou perfect. That is upright and sincere. Observe that to walk before God is to set God always before us and to think and to speak and act in everything as those that are always under his eye. It is to have a constant regard to his word as our world rule and to his glory as our end in all of our actions it is to be inward with him in all the duties of religious work worship and to be entire for him in all holy conversation or lifestyle that upright walking with god is the condition of our interest in his all sufficiency if we neglect him or dissemble with him, we forfeit the benefit of our relationship to him. A continued regard to God's all-sufficiency will have a great influence upon our upright walking with him. So when we don't walk perfectly before him, we lose out. We forfeit his almighty power and sufficiency that he has for us. When our ways are crooked and not upright, he's not enough and all sufficient. And we shut out this power that he has in our lives. And you know what we end up? We end up empty. We, we end up searching when we don't look, lean on his almighty power. These work hand in hand. As we lean upon him, he gives us strength. As we don't, we end up empty. As we focus on his all-sufficiency, we're able to walk before him blamelessly. It goes hand in hand. When we get our eyes off of him and are not right, he's not able to be all-sufficient to us. He is able and has all power to destroy our enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. We have to Keep focused on him and his power in order to do that. Are we doing that today? Heavenly Father, you have all the strength and you have all the power to defeat 
the enemies of our Christian walk. Lord, I pray that we would keep focused on you. We walk before you and we look to you for that power and strength that we need today to defeat the enemy. Help us, Lord, to walk before you perfectly and with an upright heart today. Thank you for listening to Come Magnify the Lord With Me podcast. Please join Becky Dameron each weekday for a study through the Bible from a woman's perspective. If you've enjoyed this podcast or have any questions, please reach out to Becky through Come Magnify the Lord With Me Facebook page. Until next time, God be with you and may He greatly bless you as you continue to grow through following His Word.